the voice has been a little dodgy today, so I apologise for that. Hopefully it's okay and get through it. Um, Josh is ready to jump up if that doesn't happen. Um, uh, but there you go. Uh, great, great to be able to give God thanks. On your outline, you'll notice it says Psalm 97 at the top. Uh, that's my fault because I uh, changed to Psalm 96 uh, a little bit too late to let everybody know. So my apologies, but the outline is the right outline. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to help us. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the privilege of actually being able to sit under your word tonight, to hear you speak to us from the Bible. And so help us to, as, now as we listen to recognise that it is the God of the universe who speaks. So we ask, Lord God, that as you speak to us tonight, you'd just be changing our hearts and minds to, to know you better and to love you more. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the Welsh... Uh, really know how to sing. I'm not sure whether you should know that or not, but anyway, I found that out in a previous life uh, when I was touring the UK with uh, the Salvation Army band that I was a part of. Uh, and one of our concerts was in Wales, and we'd just kind of finished performing uh, in one of their auditoriums filled with about 1,500 people. And then at the end of the night, uh, the audience did something quite extraordinary. Uh, one of the hosts came up onto stage to thank us but instead of offering us some words of thanks, he said something like, uh, we'd like to give you a really Welsh thank you. And with that, he just started singing. Uh, he started singing a famous hymn, and almost immediately, the whole auditorium was filled with the uh, incredible voices of this impromptu Welsh choir. Uh, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. The place kind of filled with the most exquisite harmonies that was just so moving. Uh, you know, a bunch of soccer fans at Wembley Stadium might sound incredible, uh, but nothing like what we experienced in Wales that night. And that night would not even begin to compare with the choir that is being assembled in Psalm 96. I don't know if you noticed it there, but have a look at verse 1 in Psalm 96. If you haven't got your Bibles open now, it would be great to reopen them up and, and be looking at Psalm 96 together. But look at verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song... Sing to the Lord all the earth. That is, the psalmist is calling for an international choir. All the earth is to join this choir. Uh, we, we see the same thing down in verse 7, a little lower, where he says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Now here, the, the call is to all peoples and all people groups. It, it's not just nations that he's calling. I mean, to be a nation, you needed a land. But the call here goes beyond that. Now, the psalmist wants everyone to stand up and sing, every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. In fact, notice, he wants even more than that. Look down at verses 11 and 12. He says, Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. You see, so great is this song that it's not just the people of God's creation, but it's the creation itself that is called on to sing, to, to join this epic choir. Uh, the moon and the stars should warm up their vocal cords. Uh, the mountains and valleys should lift their praise. Uh, the seas should roar with delight, and the trees of the forest should sing for joy. And, and notice where it's to be sung. Verse 1 says this, that this is a song to be sung in all the earth. Or down in verse 3, 
it is to be sung or declared among the nations, among all peoples. See, this new song is to be sung in all the world, to all the world, by all the world. Now, this is some choir. And what is the theme of this song? Uh, this song that blesses his name and declares his glory. Well, have a look at verse 4. Why? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. You see, the, the theme of this song is the praise of God. The reason this song should be sung is because, well, because God is worthy, he deserves our honor and praise. In fact, it's actually wrong to withhold the honor and praise that is rightly due to God. It's even worse to give it to some other gods, to idols, which the psalmist clearly indicates here are not really gods at all. I mean, the psalmist clearly denies the existence of any other gods. Other gods are not real. They are worthless idols. They do not have power like the one who made the heavens. But the true God is to be feared above all other so-called gods. And so it's, it's right for us as Christians to stand in reverent awe before him, to tremble before the Lord our God. And see, here, the picture is of the whole earth trembling, of the world itself and all of its inhabitants shaking at the thought of the living God and then joining together in one thunderous anthem of praise. To the greatest chorus that has ever been assembled, sing to the Lord a new song. All the earth, every race, tribe and nation declare his glory. It's an incredible picture, isn't it? However, as we read on, there is a bit of a surprise in what God is to be praised for. Now, there are certainly some very good reasons to praise God in this psalm, but I think the key reason may at first surprise us. Have a look there down, down at verse 10. He says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. See, here is why the psalmist thinks that even oceans and galaxies should rejoice with him. Verse 10, why? Because God will judge the peoples with equity. That is, he praises God because he knows that God is going to judge the earth. And in case you think I'm kind of making too much of that, well, have a, have a read on. See verse 11? Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. You know, why are the heavens to be glad? Why is the earth to rejoice, the sea to roar, the field to exult? Why are the forests singing? Verse 13, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You see, the thing that drives all this singing and rejoicing and gladness is that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. Now, I'm not sure how you might feel about that. But my guess is that singing for joy may not be your first reaction to God's coming judgment. 
Now, there are, of course, plenty of things in this psalm that we could happily sing about. Uh, Verse 2, for example, speaks of God's salvation of his people. Uh, Verse 3 speaks of his marvellous works. Verse 5, that he made the heavens. Verse 6, of his splendour, majesty and strength. They're all things that might cause us to rejoice in song. But the key thing in this passage is his coming judgment. And so why does he think that God's judgment is such good news? Now, now before we answer that question, let me just pause for a moment to understand where we are up to in the book of, the, book of Psalms, because we've just seen a little bit on the screen there just a moment ago. But if we go right back to the beginning of this series, we saw in Psalms 1 and 2, remember, they are the gateway to the whole book of Psalms. And the perspective of Psalms 1 and 2 is how to be wise, how to be blessed. And so in Psalm 1, the one who is blessed is the one who meditates on God's instruction, on his law, his Torah. And as a result, he avoids the way that perishes. And then we saw in Psalm 2, the one who is blessed is the one who takes refuge in God's son, God's king, and as a result, avoids the way that perishes. Because we read there in Psalm 2 that God would judge and crush his enemies, those who stood opposed to him. And so you want to be on God's side, not the side of his enemies. And so the rest of the book of Psalms then unpacks what it will look like if you're going to live the blessed life. And so uh, books 1 and 2 of the whole of Psalms uh, shows us the the kind of historical experience of King David, the man who was the Lord's anointed king. Uh, David, we, you know, if you read through those first two books of Psalms, David suffers at the hands of God's enemies, but he is finally victorious. But then we begin to see that David himself is not perfect. He, he falls into sin, and not only that, but there's the problem of human frailty. That is, David, King David, is not physically able to rule forever. And then subsequent kings to David lead Israel further away from God and the people of Israel under God's judgment are defeated by their enemies and taken into exile, into slavery. And so the question that's kind of left hanging at the end of book three of the Psalms is where is God's faithfulness to his covenant promises? Will God keep his promises? And then we get to book four, which is where we are today. 96 is in in book four of the Psalms. It starts in Psalm 90. And it's the pivot, if you like, in the whole book of Psalms. These are Psalms that make sense, not only of Israel's experiences at the time of being through exile and all that kind of thing, but also of our present experiences in a world that is hostile to God and sin is everywhere. Will God be faithful to his promises? Will he put things right? And then we get to book four and the stress of Psalms 93 to 99, where 96 fits right in the middle, is this. It's that the Lord reigns. I mean, even in the darkness of our world, he is still in control. And one day, his rule will be universally seen and acknowledged. And I I think it helps us, really, I think, to uh, understand why the psalmist is excited by something that might make us cringe about why he thinks that God's judgment is such good news. When we hear of God's judgment, uh, we we likely think that it means God is coming to condemn the world and then to punish it. And I think it's worth saying that if that 
was all that is meant here, it is still a good thing. We should look forward to the fact that evil will be put right, that wrong will be repaid. They are good things. But the psalmist means more than that here. Now, when he speaks of God coming to judge the world, he's speaking of God coming to rule it. That's exactly what verse 10, see, see verse 10 says there? It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The whole creation sings for joy because the Lord is coming to rule. And that's a very good thing. Now, of course, that involves condemning and judging all that is wrong. I mean, that, that's part of good government, isn't it? But it's much more than that. Because the judge or the ruler is one who settles disputes. He legislates, that is, he establishes order. He governs, he passes laws. And so when the psalmist says that God is coming to judge the world, he's saying that God is coming to take up his throne. He's saying that he's, he's coming to rule in person, that on that day, the government will be God. So sing for joy because the Lord is coming to rule the earth. Now, of course, it's important that we remember that at, at one level, God is already ruling the earth. That is, he is king, he's enthroned in heaven, things happen as he decrees. But Psalm 96 is looking forward to the day when God visibly rules in person and everyone obeys him. That's what he rejoices in. And so as we move even ever closer to another Christmas, we're reminded that we have already had a glimpse of who and what this rule will look like. I mean, right from the very beginning, God's purpose has been to bring salvation and blessing to every people group on the face of the earth. And the psalmist actually looks forward to the time when this promise of God becomes a reality. And then when we look upon the birth of Jesus, and then we follow through to the end of Jesus' life at his death and his resurrection, well, then we see the one and we see the way in which God's promise will be fulfilled. And the entire message of the New Testament is centered around the fact that Jesus Christ has brought salvation and blessing and he has made it available to people from every nation, every race, every tribe. And yet, just like Psalm 96, it actually, the New Testament points us forward to the coming kingdom of God. That is to the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, have you noticed uh, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, we've just prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Remember, did you notice one of the requests that we make when we pray it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord Jesus, would you come back? Would you come and sit on your throne and govern the world? Now, of course, there are um, maybe all kinds of reactions to the return of Jesus as ruler and judge. We may be concerned for ourselves. Are we ready for Jesus to return? Am I ready for Jesus to return? We may be concerned for family and friends who, who don't yet know of Jesus' salvation. We fear where they stand if Jesus were to return tomorrow. 
And so we should have hearts of compassion that are concerned for those who will face God's judgment. And yet the psalmist is whipping up all people and all of creation to sing for joy. For the Lord is coming to rule the earth. But why is he so excited? Well, because in a nutshell, he knows the kind of king that God is. He knows the kind of king that Jesus is. I see verse 6 there. He is a majestic king, a strong king, a beautiful king. He's the kind of ruler that we long for. In verse 10, we see that he is also a just king. He will do what is right. When the Lord comes to rule, there'll be no partiality, no injustice, no oppression, no self-serving, no favoritism, no wrong. He's a good king, and he's a righteous judge. See the second part of verse 12 there? Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. That is, he is a king who will always do what is right. He'll always settle disputes fairly. His judgments will never be mistaken. He will always rule for the good of his people. I mean, no wonder the psalmist sees it as good news. He's looking back on years of oppression and injustice and chaos and evil. And so it's easy to see why the arrival of God's rule will be such a good thing. And it's not so different for us, really, is it? I mean, everywhere we look, we see a world in chaos. No matter how wealthy or comfortable we might be, we can't avoid that. And just just check out your news feed for a moment, and you'll see the evil and disorder immediately. You know, I don't want to live in a world where public servants serve themselves, where babies are aborted because they're the wrong sex, where it's okay to euthanize a sick human, but a tragedy to put down a sick animal. I don't want to live in a world of gangland shootings, of domestic violence, of binge drinking and drug taking, of corporate corruption, of terrorism, war. I don't want to live in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I don't want to live in a disordered and chaotic world. But in a disordered and a chaotic world, it will be a very good thing when the Lord our God comes to reign as king. See, a great example, I heard a great, reminded of a great example really this week uh, of our inability to govern ourselves. Um, Some of you will remember this, others may not, but uh, some of you remember the uh, Make Poverty History campaign that was launched back in 2005. The United Nations got together and a big thing. Uh, one of the things that this kind of Make Poverty History uh, campaign did was, and that it highlighted so well was that actually we don't need more food, we don't need more money, more resources, we don't really need poverty. There are more than enough resources to clothe and feed and supply everyone who lives on the face of this planet. But we're completely unable to distribute them. We're governed by men and women who are more interested in popularity and personal fortunes than they are in making poverty history. 
Imagine how good it will be to have God on the throne. The God whose splendor and majesty are before him, whose strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. See, I want a world where God is reigning, don't you? I want him to come and judge the earth. I want people to listen to and obey his voice. I want him to come and rule. And so does the psalmist. I mean, the psalmist wants the whole of creation and everyone in it to be telling of the great salvation that is on offer right now to every person who will turn back to God and put their trust in Jesus, in God's King. I mean, Psalm 96, if you like, is the missionary psalm of the Old Testament. It sees the good news of God's salvation going beyond the Jews to people everywhere, which is exactly what we see today, isn't it? I mean, the gospel of Jesus is going out into the far-flung places of our world to people of every race, even to us here in Australia. And many people are responding to the salvation and blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a, a day of salvation and blessing for all who turn to Jesus. It's a day when peace with God is promised, when fear and oppression promises to subside. See, Many, many people are putting their faith in the Lord Jesus and have begun to sing the Lord's praises to tell of his salvation, to ascribe to the Lord the glory that his name is due. And they're offering their whole lives in service of the Lord. A few years back, uh, I met a number of Christian Sudanese refugees that were here in Australia. Uh, they had lived with bloodshed and oppression and ethnic cleansing for years. Many of them had lost family members. Many had had their properties confiscated. Some had been personally assaulted. But I've never seen greater joy than on their faces and exuding from their hearts, the hearts of those refugees, when they sang of their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, one day God will bring justice. He will right all wrongs. No one who rejects the Saviour will escape judgment on that day but now today is the day of salvation now is the day when God is offering people everywhere peace with him now is the day when we can begin to sing a new song for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice for the Lord reigns and he comes to judge the world in righteousness it's good news. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is king of all the earth, that he rules even now and yet, Father, one day he will return. And when he does, everything that is wrong will be put right, including us. But we thank you that there is salvation in Jesus' name, Father, help us to be those people who sing your praises, who declare your glory, and who tell out your salvation day after day, so that those who do not yet know you might know the enormous privilege of having Jesus as their king. And we ask it in his name. Amen.